three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning. Good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 339. The music is going. You're welcome. Uh, some days I like it, some days I don't. I am a very fickle human being. Like, for example, today, wearing the wedding ring. Uh, I'm told that, so I'm, I'm engaged, I'm not married, and I'm told it's not, what is it, what's the word like? It's culturally, you're supposed to wait till you're married. I don't know. I bought the wedding ring when I bought her ring. Uh, it's awesome. I like it. Uh, by the way, wedding rings for guys, like the black ones that are made of different metal, they're way cheaper. It's like, for me, I heard that. I went, oh, that's awesome. I love it. Probably need to get it a size smaller now that I made it. Like it fell off in the pool uh, when I was on vacation. So I really probably got to figure that out and get it a little smaller. But either way, uh, wedding rings for guys can be cheaper. The black looks cool. I like it. I'm going to wear it. I don't really care if it's customary. That's the word I was looking for or not. Uh, today's episode's awesome. I'm going to talk about, I guess, I, I think it's awesome. I, I created it. I'm proud of it. Uh, we're going to talk about the one free agent that I find to be the most interesting in all of NFL free agency. Probably, I would even say, probably more the most exciting free agent available out there. Uh, we're going to do some NFL news. There's news about Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, uh, New Orleans. Like, kind of, we'll do, there's like 10 things that caught my eye around the NFL this week. And then the final four topics of the show, we're going to do predictions versus reality for the NFC West. That's the Seattle Seahawks, the Arizona Cardinals, the LA Rams, and the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, one of my worst divisions. I predicted, I got, I got so much wrong. Like it's, it's pretty bad how, like how wrong I was about that division. It'll be very fun. I, I think very entertaining and informative and interesting. Got a lot of Patreon questions for that. I want to start with this. On March 17, NFL free agency will begin, and it's going to be wild. It's going to be fun, chaotic. I am hoping. Cross your fingers. I want dramatic and fun and interesting. Uh, now, the player I am most interested in is wide receiver Kenny Galladay. What team will Kenny Galladay end up on? That's the question I cannot wait to find out. Uh, and this is a dude who has been buried for years in Detroit playing for the Lions. I am convinced if he did not play for Detroit and in Detroit, he'd be a household name. He'd be much more popular at the bare minimum. He'd be a guy you've heard of, you know a lot about. You'd be like, I can't wait to see where he's going. I mean, let me ask you, and I, I, I've watched Detroit Lions games. I don't watch everyone because I'm not a, I don't hate myself. Uh, but when's the last time you watched a Detroit Lions game? It, it's likely when you did, it was on a Thanksgiving day. Kenny Galladay probably had a great game. But my point is you don't watch a lot of Detroit Lions games. Nobody does unless you're a Lions fan and then you'd hate yourself. I'm kidding. I'm not trying to be too harsh. But my point is that um, Kenny Galladay is a very, very exciting playmaker. Now, he only played five games last year, had a hip and a hamstring injury. Uh, I've heard it suggested. I don't, I'm not trying to make a strong statement here. I want to be very, very clear. I have heard some people make the suggestion that it is possible. See how careful I was there? It was suggested that it was possible. So I'm not saying one way or the other. I've heard it's possible that he was uh, avoiding playing injured. Like there are some injuries where you can play through. You're hurt, but you're like, ah, I'm here. I'm going to do it. And it's possible that because it was a contract year, uh, he did not have a long-term guarantee. He decided not to play that. Very possible. Now, I would also say it was a COVID year. It was crazy. Anyway, you play for the Lions. Um, so I'm sure a lot of that played factors there. 
Uh, but the Lions let him go. They did not franchise tag him. Uh, I think the Lions pretty clearly are rebuilding. And I would imagine that Kenny Galladay, based on what he's done when you watch the film, he wants a big payday. He feels like it's deserved. And uh, I am telling you, when you watch film, the film backs that up. He, he deserves to be paid. And uh, Kenny Galladay was Matthew Stafford's go-to target whenever Matthew Stafford, third and 11, fourth down, when he needed a play, he basically was like, where's Kenny? Where is Kenny on the field? Does he have a one-on-one matchup? I'm going to target Kenny. That was Matthew Stafford's go-to guy in Detroit. Uh, Kenny Galladay has great body control. I've seen him make so many leaping catches. He's like a human highlight reel. It's so cool. The, the stuff he's done, you're like, oh my gosh. Crazy twisting catches going up, jumping over defenders, uh, really good at the pylon in the end zone. He can go up and get the ball. And I encourage you, go watch the Atlanta Falcons against the Detroit Lions game from last year in 2020. He made some ridiculous plays where you're like, oh, wow. And it's, I look around, I'm like, why is, I don't, I guess I should even ask why. I don't watch the media. I don't really know what they're saying. I would assume not a lot of people are pointing out how special Kenny Galladay is and how much he could be a potential asset to a lot of NFL teams around. Um, any team that gets Kenny Galladay is instantly better. He's a big six foot four playmaking receiver. I think he's huge. It's going to be a big deal. I can't wait to see where he goes. And there's about nine teams that I believe are in the, the market or in the conversation for Kenny Galladay. Uh, there's probably only six or seven who can actually afford him. I'm going to mention a couple that I find exciting and possible, but eh, like, uh, for example, I, I keep hearing people say the New York Giants should target Kenny Galladay. And it's possible. Uh, I think they have to get rid of a lot of people to make that happen. Uh, according to OverTheCap.com, they only have around $3 million of salary cap space available. So if they're going to sign Kenny Galladay, they got to free up some room uh, on paper. Bring in Kenny Galladay. It'd be great for Daniel Jones. He'd be good for the offense. I don't know that New York is a realistic target given how much he wants to be paid and given how much money they have to spend. But, hey, well, they, a lot of moves are still to happen, and we'll see what happens with Kenny Galladay. Uh, but here are the teams that I think should make a move for Kenny Galladay. Uh, the top two teams, in my opinion, are the New York Jets and the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, they have the most salary cap space available of any NFL team. Uh, they're the two highest, uh, I guess, the two teams at the top of the NFL draft. Uh, they're picking one and two. And uh, the Jaguars are drafting number one overall. They are likely drafting the quarterback, Trevor Lawrence, out of Clemson. And if you're Trevor Lawrence, imagine walking into the NFL. You have uh, DJ Chark and Kenny Galladay to throw to. That'd be huge. It'd be a great advantage for Trevor Lawrence. If the Jaguars made that happen, you'd be setting up Trevor Lawrence to succeed a lot more than if you don't bring in Kenny Galladay. I like him going to Jacksonville. Uh, they also have money. Kenny Galladay, well, he's playing in Detroit. I, my, I would imagine making not a lot of money playing in Detroit. You're like, if I'm not going to win, I might as well get rich. And so I don't know whether Jacksonville's going to turn things around or not. But if I'm Kenny Galladay, I'm like, hey, Jacksonville, new quarterback who can put the ball up. Uh, I'll get paid a good paycheck, a healthy amount of money. I would imagine Jacksonville is a prime spot for Kenny Galladay. Plus, hey. No state income tax. Uh, Jacksonville, there's a lot worse weather around America. Uh, now, the Jets can also afford to make him a big offer. They need offensive weapons very, very badly. The New York Jets need to make a move for Kenny Galladay. Uh, I think, I would argue they need to land him. They need to get Kenny Galladay in the building. Uh, it's very likely the Jets are also bringing in a new quarterback. If you're Justin Fields or Zach Wilson or 
Uh, even if you trade for Deshaun Watson, right? Bringing in Kenny Galladay is good for your franchise, especially for a team like the Jets that don't have a lot of offensive weapons. At least the Jaguars have DJ Chark. The Jets are very bare bones. They need some help on offense. Uh, Kenny Galladay would be huge for them. I feel like I'm saying his name a lot. I, I will say this. When I listen to radio, I listened as a kid. I was a huge sports radio nerd. And you'd have people talk uh, for long tirades about players and never say their name. And I was always like, I, ha- I would hate my listener to be like, who is he talking about again? So I might say a name a little bit too much, but there's a reason why. Uh, like I listen to a video game podcast and they talk about these video games and like, like oh, that sounds so cool. It's a first person shooter. Uh, there's platforming and it's interesting. You're like, oh, and I get excited. I'm like, oh, wait, what was the game? And they never say the name of the game other than that one time at the beginning. And I always have to rewind and find the, the name of the game. So I do say Kenny Galladay's name a lot probably in this topic, but I want to be clear that's so you don't forget who I'm talking about. Uh, it's a little different if it's a YouTube video. You're clicking on it. You know it's about that. Uh, now, the New England Patriots have the third most amount of salary cap room available in the NFL. They got a lot of money to spend. It seems like they're planning to make a bunch of big moves. Uh, that would be logical. Now, I cannot remember the last time the Patriots paid big money to a wide receiver. So I'm hesitant to predict the Patriots to make a move for Kenny Galladay. Uh, they just signed Cam Newton. You would think they want to bring him, uh, get him some weapons and help him out, but I, I I can't get a read on it. I can't really get a read on anything the Patriots are doing. It seems very confusing to me. Uh, but bringing in Galladay would be a huge move for them. Uh, and if I were the Patriots, I would make a move for the guy to get my quarterback uh, some weapons because they badly need offensive weapons the same way the New York Jets do. I mean, at least, I guess at least the Patriots have a Julian Edelman. I guess, but man, they, they really do not have an outside throw at wide receiver. Uh, bringing in a 6'4 wide receiver would make a huge impact there. Uh, Washington has over $38 million available. I don't know who their quarterback is going to be. That's a big question mark. Uh, they do have a receiver, Terry McLaurin, but pairing him with another big six foot four receiver, that'd be huge. So they should make a move at Kenny Galladay. Washington should be in the mix, I hope. Uh, it's been reported that the Cincinnati Bengals have... $42 million of salary cap space available to spend. Uh, so I think they should make a move and go get Joe Burrow, a receiver to help. But Kenny Galladay uh, with T. Higgins and Joe Burrow, that'd be great. Uh, now, historically, uh, look, first of all, you support your young quarterback. If I am Cincinnati, I am spending money left and right to take care of my young franchise quarterback, get him an offensive line, get him receivers. Like, There should not be a single reason on paper why my quarterback is not doing well. Unfortunately, historically, the Bengals do not like spending money on big-name free agents. They have very stingy ownership. I I know that's Bengals fans are angry. Sorry, but they don't like doing that, so I don't know that they're a realistic target for Kenny Galladay. But if I'm them, I would absolutely make a move to try to get my quarterback, Joe Burrow, another receiver, another weapon to throw to. Now, the Dolphins have around $33 million available. And if they plan to keep Tua Tungavaloa as their starting quarterback, they need to get the guy help. They need to get him some weapons. They need to support Tua. And so I would love to see Miami land a big receiver. That'd be great. Uh, Kenny Galladay to Miami. Hey, it's another team in the state of Florida. No state income tax. They got money to pay you. If I'm Kenny Galladay, I'm like, uh, Miami, get rich, maybe win some games. Doesn't sound too bad to me. And again, from Miami's perspective, they, if they're going to commit to Tua, which they may or may not, we're, we're, 
I'm he- I keep hearing Deshaun Watson, Russell Wilson. They're going to make a trade. I-, I have no idea what Miami's going to do at quarterback next year. But if they do keep Tua, they really have to bring in some weapons to help that guy out and give him a better opportunity to be successful as their starting quarterback. Now, the Colts have $46 million available. That's been reported uh, of cap room. They're bringing in a new quarterback, Carson Wentz. Uh, number one, you want to get Carson Wentz help. He's coming off a really bad season. I would have, I, I think with Frank Reich in Indianapolis, Carson Wentz is going to do a lot better than he did last year in Philadelphia. But also, not only do you want to get your quarterback help, the Colts have an opportunity right now where they're a very, very talented roster. And if, if the Carson Wentz experiment goes well, if Carson Wentz does return to form, starts playing at a high level, then the Colts are in a position where they could make a run at a Super Bowl. So if I'm the Colts, I would be trying to set myself up where if things go well, I'm ready to take advantage of that. So I think the Colts just spend money, spend money, go get a receiver, go get Kenny Galladay, make your franchise better, give yourself another uh, another helpful advantage towards winning a Super Bowl in Indianapolis. Again, the Colts are a very, very talented roster across the board. If Carson Wentz works out, they got to be ready to capitalize on that moment. And so having a, you know, a big play receiver who can make gigantic plays down the sideline, downfield, uh, helps anybody, but the Colts especially would really uh, benefit from that. Now, I want to mention the Baltimore Ravens. Money's tight. Uh, it's been reported they have around $20 million right now available in salary cap space. Could change as they make some more cuts uh, as the days go on. So that may not be enough room to sign Kenny Galladay. It's hard to get a read on it. Uh, but having him at receiver would really help the development of Lamar Jackson, the uh, young quarterback in Baltimore. So I, if I'm Baltimore, I'm on the phone making calls, trying to make my team better to help support my quarterback. They got... Uh, Hollywood Brown, Hollywood Brown, you know, Marquise Hollywood Brown has not appeared to be a true number one receiver in Baltimore. Kenny Galladay would be that true number one receiver. Plus, if you're a defense trying to stop Baltimore, well, Lamar can run. Uh, we, if we put attention on Kenny Galladay, then you got to deal with Hollywood Brown. So the more weapons Baltimore has obviously available, the better their offense is going to be. And uh, I think if you want to help develop Lamar Jackson's ability as a passer, which uh, I I look at Baltimore's offense, it's got to develop. It's got to have some progression. Getting Lamar Jackson some help would really benefit that and make that a lot easier. Now, the final team I want to mention, it's more just for fun. It's not really a realistic landing spot for Kenny Galladay. Uh, But it's been reported the 49ers have just over $24 million available. I really am not sure whether they can afford him or not. I'm spitballing here. But what I do know is one of my favorite offensive coaches in the entire NFL is there, Kyle Shanahan. What Kyle Shanahan does in San Francisco better than I think any other coach around the NFL. There are other coaches that do it similarly well. Kyle Shanahan is uniquely the best at designing plays to take advantage of your player's skill sets. He gets the absolute very most out of his players. Like Curtis Samuels, another guy available in free agency. I would love to see Curtis Samuel end up in San Francisco simply because I want to see how does Kyle Shanahan use these guys and get the most out of their ability. Kenny Galladay, if he goes to San Francisco, look, he might even take a million or $2 pay cut 
just so he knows he can really, for me, I'm the kind of person where I would like to get the most out of my career. I'm like, what, how can I max out my potential? Kyle Shanahan would help Kenny Galladay max out his potential and get every ounce of productivity he has. And I, I don't know. I, I would feel good going like I, I'm really being set up to succeed. That is what Kyle Shanahan would do for a star six foot four wide receiver. So uh, in my mind, Kenny Galladay is the big free agent that is available. He's the most exciting free agent available. And uh, salary cap is lower this year. It's not really a good year to be a free agent, unfortunately. Uh, every team is making cuts, trying to make reductions. I would imagine that's because of COVID, right? I would imagine as years go on, the salary cap is going to keep going up. This year it went down, which is very rare. And so for free agents right now, that's a struggle. But I still am really, really interested to see where, in fact, Kenny Galladay does end up at the end of NFL free agency. All right, guys. Uh, there are 10 NFL stories that caught my eye this past week. Uh, number one, Tom Brady reworked his contract. It's called a four-year extension. Uh, what it really does is it keeps Tom Brady in Tampa through 2022, and it spreads out his money. So basically, Tom Brady took a pay cut to help the Buccaneers have more cap space to re-sign players and rework stuff and keep the band together. Uh, this is really Tom saying, I will do whatever it takes to keep our team together and try to win another Super Bowl. At this point, Tom's not playing for the money. Uh, I think Tom is clearly playing to win more rings and to continue his legacy. And Tom loves Tom loves the game. He's made his money. Uh, he's got <laughs> endorsements. His wife's got a ton of money. He's made a ton of money in his career. He's played for 20 years at an incredibly high level. So Tom Brady's main concern is not money. I really like that. I respect that. Another quarterback who made a similar move was Patrick Mahomes, but it was not after... Uh, first of all, the Chiefs cut both their right and left tackle, Eric Fisher and Mitchell Schwartz. The goal of these moves was to save salary cap space. Uh, releasing Eric Fisher, for example, saved over $12 million. Uh, now, that's a big loss, though. We saw how bad Kansas City's offensive line was last year in the Super Bowl without their right and left tackle. They they are not good without Eric Fisher, Mitchell Schwartz. Um, it makes me very, very nervous for Kansas City. But again, like I said, Patrick Mahomes is reportedly restructuring his contract. It will save KC over, uh, about $17 million uh, for his team salary cap space. My thought with that is maybe Mahomes took a cut so he could, you know, basically saying like, look, I'll do what it takes. I want to win. And my offensive line just got depleted. Let's make a move. Let's go get another right and left tackle because I need help. And maybe they want to make a move at uh, left tackle Trent Williams, a guy who would be become a free agent out of San Francisco. He's probably the best free agent offensive lineman in the NFL right now. And so I, if I am Kansas City and I freed up whatever space I could, I would make a move at Trent Williams. Say, hey, you want to come here, win a Super Bowl with us because we got Patrick Mahomes. We just need a left tackle. You fill that role for us. We will provide some wins for you, uh, especially after playing for years in Washington, one year in San Francisco where everybody got injured and fell apart. I would imagine Trent Williams is eager to win some football games. Uh, now, the third story that br was brought to my attention, the Bills re-signed linebacker Matt Milano. Got a four-year deal, uh, $44 million. He said he wants to be in Buffalo and chase a Super Bowl. I love that. That's awesome. I also want to remind you that Buffalo's offensive coordinator, Brian Dable, did not go anywhere. He was one of the guys who people said, 
Brian Dable, where is he going to go? He's going to be head coach and he interviewed everywhere and ended up nowhere. Now, maybe he interviewed terribly and didn't work out, but it seems like Buffalo uh, has a sense of unfinished business. They brought back their offensive coordinator. Matt Bellano wants to come back. They're building a culture where they're going to chase Super Bowls and uh, do it with Josh Allen. Brian Dable is a part of that. Matt Milano is a part of that. I am very excited for the future of Buffalo, and uh, I would be very happy if Buffalo found a way to win a Super Bowl or even get to a Super Bowl, but really win a Super Bowl after the, they lost four years in a row back in the 90s. They deserve a win. Uh, at least the fans do. And so I, I would be very, very happy if Buffalo was able to complete their quest and win a Super Bowl. Number four, the Saints have released receiver Emmanuel Sanders and corner Janoris Jenkins. Uh, New Orleans still has got really big salary cap problems. They are still in the negative, actually, financially. They're making whatever cut they can to save money, and uh, they're making as many moves as they can. I keep hearing people say, like, oh, they're going to trade for Russell Wilson. I'm like, I, I don't know how they make that work financially. I don't, the Saints are in, it's called cap hell, where they, they owe money. right? They're, they're, it's really bad. Uh, like, even if Drew Brees comes back, they still got to make cuts. I, I, I don't really know. It feels like the Saints are making cuts left and right. The last year was their year where they went all out and they still came up short. So I don't have confidence the Saints are going to go on a Super Bowl run no matter what happens in their future. Uh, but I, I feel like the Saints actually, in fact, are going to have to rebuild very soon. But keep your eye on that. It's interesting to me. A couple of small stories. Uh, the Houston Texans signed two players. They signed running back Mark Ingram to a one-year $3 million contract and linebacker Christian Kirksey uh, to a one-year $4.5 million. The Giants cut guard Kevin Zeitler. The 49ers signed cornerback Emmanuel Mosley to a two-year $10 million deal. That's great for him. Emmanuel Mosley is awesome. That's a good move for them. Uh, reasonable money. I like Emmanuel Mosley a lot. Now, two running backs are going to become free agents, guys who have been big names in the NFL, been starters in the NFL. Aaron Jones from Green Bay and Chris Carson from Seattle. They've done good stuff. Uh, they've been good running backs in the past. My problem is uh, you can get running backs for like next to nothing in the NFL draft. It's not good. I don't, I don't like saying that. It feels sleazy and wrong to not pay people what they're uh, what based on what they've done in the past. However, the market value doesn't really show that running backs are worth paying. Unfortunately, like, it sucks. And I would tell if you're a high school player, and you really have a chance at the NFL, play receiver, play quarterback. Don't play running back because running backs uh, get used and then thrown away the minute they're 27 years old. They're, they've got a little, like an injury or two. They're, even if they're not injured, they're like, well, it's just cheaper to draft a running back, pay them nothing for three years, then discard them and move on and get another one. So I expect a very weak market for Chris Carson and Aaron Jones. They might even, in fact, go back to their own teams, listen to some offers, go, uh, none of these are that great. We'll see what happens. Um, but again, you can get a really productive rookie running back for nothing. I'm not saying that's healthy. It's terrible, but a fourth round pick is cheap and still can do a lot of good stuff uh, for an NFL roster as a starter. It's one of the positions where you can plug and play anybody. And if the rookie's healthy and ready, they're going to be much more successful than other players that are rookies uh, that do play different positions. So that was number five, six, uh, seven, and eight. Number nine, the Bears have put the franchise tag on wide receiver Allen Robinson. I feel so bad for Allen Robinson. 
He's been playing with Mitchell Trubisky as his quarterback for a while now. Uh, I, I, I really hope that Chicago gets a real quarterback. I, I am begging you, please somebody help Allen Robinson. The poor guy has been held now in Chicago, and he needs a quarterback who can get him the ball. Now, the good news for him is that if he does play on the franchise tag, he's going to make $18 million next year. The bad news is that if he plays on the salary on the, on the franchise tag, excuse me, if Allen Robinson plays on the franchise tag, He'll make $18 million. However, he doesn't have a long-term guarantee. And he'd still be in Chicago, which, depending on their quarterback situation, could be good, could be bad. Keep your eye on Chicago's quarterback situation. And please, I am begging you, uh, Chicago, get Allen Robinson, somebody who can throw in the ball. He's too good a receiver to be wasted with Mitchell Trubisky as his quarterback. Number 10, the final one uh, that caught my eye this week. The Patriots gave Cam Newton... Quarterback Cam Newton, a one-year, $14 million contract. I would actually say it's well-deserved. Cam Newton's been a, a good soldier. He led things very well uh, in New England last year. It wasn't a very productive year. They didn't win a lot. He didn't play great. But you also have to recognize that, first of all, Tom Brady didn't play great in New England. Like Tom, There's no weapons in New England at all. So you can't really hate—people are like, ah, oh, ridiculous, what the heck? Well, look, Cam Newton's throwing to nobody. Uh, there's no outside weapon. There's no Nikhil Harry's maybe a bust. Uh, Julian Edelman's fine, but he's uh, he's good underneath, I guess. But you can't really stretch the field. Julian Edelman, a lot of problems in New England. So you might say that's crazy. I would say, well, I would be curious to watch Cam Newton if he actually had some help and some good weapons. Um, but I will say, I really have no idea what to expect from New England. I don't know. I, I would like to see them make a move for Kenny Galladay. I'd like to see them do a lot of stuff. I cannot figure out what in the world is happening in New England. It's going to be one of those things where we'll find out when free agency is over. We'll go like, oh, what did the Patriots do? Did they spend a lot of money? Did they do nothing? I I can't get a read. I was surprised they gave Cam Newton a one-year $14 million contract. Feels like they could have brought Cam Newton back for a lot less. I don't know. It's only one year. I I, I can't get a read on it. Now, maybe the Patriots, because I thought they were going to draft a quarterback, Maybe the Patriots' plan is to draft a guy like Mac Jones and then have Ken Newton play initially and be the starter and then either transition to Mac Jones or let Mac Jones sit and learn behind uh, Cam Newton or whatever. Maybe they draft Kyle Trask. I don't know, but I, I really can't tell what's going on in New England. I just thought I would talk about it a little bit. I w- hope they're going to spend a lot of money in free agency. I hope they bring in another quarterback to be their long-term answer. The whole thing's weird to me. I, I I can't figure out what the Patriots are doing. It's one of those things where we just got to wait and see. And in two months, we'll know a lot more. And we'll be like, oh, we'll kind of have an idea what their strategy is. But for now, after giving Cam Newton a, a contract like that, I go, I I can't figure out what they're doing. Because he's not their long-term guy, or, or else they'd give him a longer contract. But it's also not a cheap... I mean, it's $14 million. I think he played on like $1 million last year, so... Good for Cam. They're paying him probably what they should have, some of what they should have paid him last year too. Like maybe it's like, well, we got you so cheap last year, we'll overpay you this year. I don't know. But Bill Belichick also is not sentimental. So I just, I'm rambling now. Cannot figure out what's happening with the New England Patriots. Time will tell with them. That is my brief recap of the NFL news from last week. A lot of stuff happened. Uh, I didn't mention everything, but I mentioned the things that mattered to me that I thought were interesting. And uh, yes, that is, that is all. 
I'm going to take a short break. Uh, when I return, we'll do predictions versus reality for the NFC West. We'll start in Arizona. Uh, boy, I got Arizona very, very wrong. My name is Zach Schaumler. We're going to take a short break. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Hope you're doing very, very well. It is now time for predictions versus reality for the NFC West. Uh, the Seattle Seahawks, the Arizona Cardinals, LA Rams, San Francisco 49ers. I'm going to revisit my predictions from last year, from the preseason. What I got right, what I got wrong. Uh, and I, I'll tell you, I got a lot wrong about the NFC West. Um, I did nail one team. There's one team I got very right. It's probably the team I have the least to say about, actually, because it's kind of boring. It's like, it's like ah, very straightforward. Well, let's start in Arizona. Uh, where things went horrendously wrong for my prediction. I predicted the Arizona Cardinals to go 12-4 and four in 2020. It was a bold prediction. It was, uh, you know, I compared the Cardinals to the 2019 Baltimore Ravens, where in 2019 the Ravens had a second-year quarterback, Lamar Jackson. He uh, exploded on the scene. He ended up winning the NFL MVP. They surprised a lot of people. I went, this is the same story that's going to happen with the Cardinals in 2020. I believe the Cardinals are going to be the NFL's surprise team last year. It was Kyler Murray's second year. He just won the NFL Rookie of the Year award. He's super talented. They got a star receiver, a new guy. I guess a, they, really, they brought in a superstar receiver, uh, DeAndre Hopkins. I'm like, man, this is the year in Arizona. I thought they got a favorable schedule. Kyler's going to win the MVP. It's going to be amazing. Now, the reality is the Cardinals went 8-8. Eight and eight. My, my prediction went in the garbage. It was embarrassing. I was like, oh, I, very, very wrong. Zach, <laughs> smells like a hot pile of dung. You were horrible there. Uh, they fell way short of my expectations. I got a bunch of stuff wrong. In week nine, despite coming off of a bye week where they had time to prepare and get ready for the game, Arizona lost to Miami. Uh, did not look well. Uh, Miami's defense looked much more prepared. They played better. The Cardinals got swept by the LA Rams. That very much surprised me. I'm like, ah, Kyler, Jared Goff. Uh, and the Rams defense made them look not great. Uh, Arizona went 2-4 and four in the division rather than the 4-2 and two that I predicted. I predicted what the inverse of what actually happened. They lost to the Lions. They lost to the rebuilding Carolina Panthers. And my prediction very heavily relied on Kyler Murray, the Cardinals quarterback, taking a big step forward last year. Again, I, I thought this is going to be an MVP caliber season. And the reality is he didn't even finish in the top 10 in a single passing category. You're like, wow, he didn't even was nowhere near that. And a lot of the blame, in my opinion, goes on the Cardinals head coach, Cliff Kingsbury. Uh, before we get into that, though, I want to say there was a moment week three where uh, kind of this is kind of a microcosm of how much Kyler Murray struggled last year. In week three against the Detroit Lions, Kyler had a bad game. He had three interceptions. Now, I, one was uh, maybe one that there, there was one that was not great, but then another one got dropped. So in the end, they canceled each other out. But his turnovers allowed Detroit to hang around in the game. Kyler made bad decisions that gave the Lions more opportunities, and the Lions are still a professional football team. So when you allow any NFL team to hang around and hang around and give them opportunity after opportunity, they're going to beat you. They're going to hang around and, and make plays. And so honestly, Kyler Murray's lack of progression, what it did, I don't blame Kyler. Like Kyler, I think, is going to end up working out. He's very talented, got NFL habits. 
Kyler's lack of progression really made me question the Cardinals head coach, Cliff Kingsbury. It made me go, is Cliff the right guy to lead Arizona to having some winning days moving forward? You know, Cliff Kingsbury is a former quarterback. Uh, He was once Tom Brady's backup, actually, in New England, weirdly enough, for a very brief time. Uh, He's supposed to be this offensive genius. But the reality is now, when I look back at Cliff Kingsbury's career as a head coach, he was a head coach at Texas Tech. He failed. He had a losing record in college. He had a losing record in college football at Texas Tech. Now, I would, I in the past have explained that away, saying, well, he's bad at recruiting. And I thought in the NFL, where you don't have to recruit, and it's more about just coaching and schematics. I'm like, this is where Cliff Kingsbury's going to shine. And two years in, two years as the Arizona Cardinals said, coach, I get it. They were bad when he inherited the team. They're turning things around. So it's not the end of the world. I still have an open mind. But I thought, man, everything is in order to be great. And two years in Arizona, he's got a losing record, went 8-8 eight and eight last year. And they got good players in Arizona. They now have J.J. Watt. They have uh, DeAndre Hopkins. They got Kenyon Drake, Christian Kirk, Buda Baker, Chandler Jones, Patrick Peters, and Drake Kirkpatrick. They, of course, have... A very incredibly talented young quarterback, Kyler Murray. So the pressure is on the Cardinals head coach, Cliff Kingsbury. He's got to deliver. He's got to bring in some wins. And I I think you can explain away Texas Tech, say, well, bad at recruiting. And if he wins next year in Arizona, you can say, well, it took him time because they had to rebuild everything and turn the culture around. However, Kevin Stefanski did that in one year. Sean McVay did that in one year in L.A. I mean, we've seen coaches take over an NFL team and the very next year win. That didn't happen with Cliff Kingsbury. He has never had, no matter what level he's been a head coach at, he hasn't had a winning record. That's horrifying. They hired a coach with a losing record. And I thought at the time, I'll explain it away. It'll make sense. It's making less and less sense now. And so I just want to reiterate, if Arizona does not win next year, Cliff Kingsbury is going to be fired. The players they have, the the quarterback is too good. The team, the roster is too good to not be winning football games. The pressure is on Cliff Kingsbury. He is now in the hot seat. Let's now talk about San Francisco. Or, well, sorry, no, actually, let's do that in a minute. I want to st- I want to shift gears to L.A. I predicted the L.A. Rams to go six and ten in twenty twenty, and. Uh, Oh boy, I got it very wrong. Very, very wrong. The reality is the Rams went 10 and 6. They made the playoffs. They won a playoff game. So far removed from what I thought was going to happen. I was worried about the Rams recovering from losing some of the players they lost. Remember, they had some big contracts. They got rid of uh, Dominic and Sue. They got rid of Todd Gurley. They got rid of Brandon Cooks. I went, well, they're just, they're they're in flux right now. A lot of turmoil is going on. They've got an aging offensive line. And, of course, my number one concern with the L.A. Rams last year was their quarterback, Jared Goff. Uh, people really struggle with Jared Goff because he's not great, pretty clearly. He's also not awful, but people want to make strong statements. So if you're not great, then you must be terrible. That's kind of where people go because it's – in the media especially, people have such a hard time knowing how to label people. We love labels, and so I think the the – the label like Jared Goff is trash has been put on him. He's not an awful quarterback, but he's not great. And it's now years in the making. I keep going like I I like Jared Goff. 
I don't love him. He's kind of plateaued. He's not really getting better. And remember, now, the, Jer- the Jared Goff, uh, he-, he got traded out of L.A. They eventually gave up. I know they said, we're just going to get Matthew Stafford. We're going to move on. And I-, I thought going into the year, Jared Goff is going to limit the Rams. And I think that's kind of what happened. Now, in the end, Jared Goff, again, he did limit the Rams. Uh, but they did overcome it to some degree because they literally had the number one defense in the entire NFL. Look at all the rankings. Like, wow, this defense uh, led the NFL in yards allowed. They're number one. They had the fewest yards allowed in the entire NFL. They allowed the fewest points in the entire NFL. Now, part of that, in hindsight, looking back as well, the Rams played a schedule that was, uh, I mean, they they played some, they played Tom Brady. Uh, they played, some, I mean, they played a couple people, but a lot of the tougher games that, L.A. played, they lost. Like, they beat uh, Carson Wentz, who had a terrible year and imploded. Uh, they beat Daniel Jones, the Mitchell Trubisky, Tua, who was a rookie and was very underwhelming. Like, I look at some of the Rams' wins, and I go, mm, these are not the most impressive wins I've ever seen. So that probably, in fact, it did for sure contribute to making the Rams' defense look even better. But the reality is the 2020 L.A. Rams were a defensive-led team through and through. Led, in fact, by Aaron Donald, uh, who won the defense, NFL Defensive Player of the Year. Now, it's also worth noting that the division, the NFC West, where the LA Rams play in, you know, there were two teams. The Cardinals, in my opinion, were very disappointing. The Rams fell up. Sorry, the, the 49ers fell apart. The 49ers had a bunch of injuries. Their quarterback, they had injuries everywhere. So the division was less competitive than it would have been, too. So that probably also helped the LA Rams. But they made the playoffs. Now, one thing I loved from the Rams season was the way that they replaced the production of their running back, Todd Gurley. When the Rams made a Super Bowl run, Todd Gurley was awesome. And they got rid of him. They, they paid him a giant contract, said, well, we can't afford that. It's really, we're overpaying the guy. It's not worth it. He's not, he's declining uh, physically. So they got rid of Todd Gurley. And the problem they had to solve is how do we replace that production? What they did, they had three running backs, all that had over 100 carries. They had Cam Akers, Malcolm Brown, Daryl Henderson. They had over 2,000 yards rushing. The system worked. The Rams were uh, top 10 across the board in the NFL in rushing. That's a big deal. The way they did it was unique. Again, three different running backs all contributing in their own way. I like that. A lot of creativity. The Rams ran the ball very, very well without a star marquee back. Uh, A lot of young rookies, a lot of young guys. That's cool to me. Uh, I I like that approach. I think it's kind of the way people should start trending in the NFL is copying what Sean McVay just did in L.A. Now, ultimately, though, the Rams were held back by their quarterback, Jared Goff. He did get hurt. Uh, I understand that. But after the season, I walked away going, Jared Goff isn't good enough. And then the Rams confirmed that by trading Jared Goff away to Detroit and bringing in Matthew Stafford in that trade from the Lions. So the Rams made the playoffs. They won a playoff game uh, in spite of Jared Goff, but they clearly believe that Matthew Stafford is an upgrade moving forward. Now, this leads me to three questions from the audience. You can also send in questions if you want to. You go to patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. The number one question today is from The Hamman. Uh, the ham man is what I'm going to say. The ham man, it's it's all run together. I don't know. He says, do you think that the Rams will be leaps and bounds better because of Matthew Stafford? I think he's good, but not great. And Jared Goff is mediocre. I think the Rams will be better, but not way better. What do you think? And then Braden says, do the Rams adding Matthew, uh, does the Rams adding Matthew Stafford make them the favorite to win the division? So I personally believe that the Rams are much better off 
with Matthew Stafford. Now, this is, I want to mind you, I have not watched the film yet. I, I've seen a lot of Matthew Stafford. I watched him play a lot and gone, wow, he's making great play. It's not like I've never seen Matthew Stafford play football, but I haven't gone through every single throw like for the last three years. I will do a film analysis after the NFL draft. Uh, we will do a detailed breakdown, what I expect, how good is he, yada, yada. Uh, but from the outside looking in and from the thing, the times, I, and I've probably watched a lot more Lions games than I think most people nationally do, unless you're a Lions fan. You don't watch Lions games unless they're playing your team. I watched considerable amounts of Matthew Stafford play. Uh, I think people don't realize how much Matthew Stafford was held back by his former organization, the Detroit Lions. He played for a crappy, poorly run franchise. And that's why Matthew Stafford and the Rams are kind of such a great fit because Stafford was held back by his team and the Rams were held back by their former quarterback, Jared Goff. So together, they're kind of exactly what each other needs. The Rams need a quarterback who can be what they need. And Matthew Stafford needs an organization that's not poorly run and can support him. They got each other what they need. And so I think it's very possible it's going to be a very beautiful marriage in L.A. Uh, there's a reason why they made this move. They thought this move was going to really elevate them and put them over the hump. And I think, honestly, Matthew Stafford, a very capable quarterback with a great defense and great play design with Sean McVay, I don't know why you wouldn't go that's a playoff team. They, so that's a Super Bowl team. They made the playoffs with Jared Goff. <laughs> I mean, what, what are they going to do with a better quarterback? So I don't know how you look at the Rams and don't go. They are in the conversation for a Super Bowl. I, I think they deserve that. They should be. Uh, give Matthew Stafford some respect. You give him a great defense and a great head coach and Cooper Cup. I mean, I, I think the Rams are going to be awesome. Keep your eye on that. I, I think that Matthew Stafford is a massive, massive move that is being actually undervalued and partially, again, because he was buried away in Detroit. Nobody really knows how good he is. Everybody blames all the failures of Detroit on him rather than looking at the failures of the coaching staff and the ownership. And uh, I, I think Matthew Stafford has a bunch of wins. He had a bunch of fourth quarter wins. He made stuff happen. The only reason why the Rams were ever, sorry, the Lions were ever competitive. The Lions were elevated by Matthew Stafford as much as they could be he just kept running into a wall where they were poorly run at bad coaches. And uh, the one time they had a good coach, even they fired the guy. So do not blame Matthew Stafford for the incompetence of his former franchise, the Detroit Lions. Now, Siddharth writes in, uh, Siddharth writes in, he says, it's a long one. Hey, Zach, I saw an interesting video yesterday that showed how Sean McVay took advantage of the headset rules and made Jared Goff look amazing. Essentially, what happened was you were allowed to have communication with the quarterback until the play clock hits 15 seconds, and then the communication with the quarterback gets cut out. When you watch the Rams film, you see that they snap the ball most of the time before the play clock hits 15 seconds. What this says to me is that McVay is telling Goff what the defense is doing and where to throw. When you watch the Rams and Patriots Super Bowl, and essentially any game after that, you see more defenses disguise their zone and man defenses because they figured out what the Rams were doing and they knew that Jared Goff was not able to make reads on his own. So my question to you is, do you think the Rams go back to this play clock headset trick since they know Stafford has the ability to read defenses and can figure out disguise defenses better than Jared Goff or do they let Stafford do his thing and not backseat drive like they had to do for Goff. Best wishes, Siddharth. So, no, Sean McVay had to micromanage Jared Goff to elevate him to success. 
I would imagine, and I, I believe, in fact, that Sean McVay is very, very excited to have a more capable quarterback like Matthew Stafford, a veteran, uh, a seasoned veteran who's been around, who knows the game, who knows defenses, who he can trust and doesn't have to babysit. Now he doesn't have to micromanage his quarterback. In fact, it'll be a different, probably healthier relationship between coach and quarterback where instead of micromanaging the quarterback, Sean McVay can now collaborate with his quarterback. That's awesome. That's going to be good for L.A. And so I, I am telling you guys, and I, it's, it's my opinion. I'll watch film and see if I can – I'll see what the film says. I'm not going to go in with a, an angle. Uh, whatever the film – if the film tells me Matthew Stafford is good but not great, I'll say it, right? I'll say whatever I find. My initial impression – this is just how I feel – is this is a massive move that nobody's talking about. Again, I'm telling you. Don't blame the Lions' failures on Matthew Stafford. Don't blame Matthew Stafford for bad ownership and bad coaching. Matthew Stafford did everything he could. Go watch the video where his arm is out of the socket and he throws a touchdown pass to win the game. Matthew Stafford did everything he could. He just couldn't overcome bad ownership. It's a great example when you're in the professional world. You don't want to work for a bad boss. No matter how good you are at your job, if you have terrible management above you, your life's going to be much more difficult. Matthew Stafford, I'm sorry, couldn't overcome bad ownership and bad coaching. And again, the one time they had a good coach, Jim Caldwell, they made the playoffs. They fired the guy. Ownership is awful. The Ford family is a terrible NFL owner. So I, I think, man, Matthew Stafford makes the Rams a Super Bowl contender, in my opinion. We'll see what the film says moving forward. But I am telling you. It feels like a move that people need to take more seriously and pay more attention to. And uh, I said way more about this than I thought I would, but Matthew Stafford is a big, big deal. This is a team that made the playoffs with Jared Goff. They started John Wolford and won a playoff game. Now they have the right quarterback <laughs> and the, the same defense with a genius head coach who the, the players love Sean McVay, by the way. I, I, I'm telling you, I, I think that the Rams are headed in a great direction and should be a Super Bowl contender or at least a team that people believe have a shot at a Super Bowl next year, in my opinion. All right, guys, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we'll do predictions versus reality for the 49ers and the Seattle Seahawks. My name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. I will be right back. All right, everybody, welcome back. Uh, it's time for more predictions versus reality. We will start in San Francisco. I predicted the 49ers to go 11 and 5 in 2020. It's a, another prediction I got horribly wrong. The reality is the 49ers went 6 and 10. However, unlike the Cardinals prediction, unlike the Rams prediction, I really don't have any guilt or shame or feel bad about this one at all because the 49ers had a ton of injuries. Uh, their season was completely ruined by having starters get injured. And it's kind of almost impressive. Impressive is the wrong word. Like crazy and shocking how many people got injured right off the bat to start the year. Uh, I saw a graphic at one point where there were 30 49ers players either that were injured currently or had been injured earlier in that year. And you realize an NFL team only has 22 starters between the offense and the defense. So 30 players, that's... All your key players hurt, injured, out at some point. Uh, guys like Nick Bosa, um, Solomon Thomas, they both tore their ACL. You had George Kittle missed a lot of time. 
there were so many injuries, including the 49ers starting quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, I thought he had problems when he did play. They were three and three uh, win loss record with him starting. But uh, remember, the start, if your starting quarterback only plays six games in a year, that's a big, big problem. On top of that, if you have a bunch of injuries as well, it's a mess. And so last year was a season completely ruined by injuries for the 49ers. And it's pretty funny. I was afraid. I believed if I got my prediction wrong for San Francisco, it was maybe because I didn't predict them to win enough games. I was like, uh, is 11 games too low of a number? I was like, what if they win 12 or 13? And so I, I just could not have foreseen uh, a season where they, <laughs> they won so few games and how that could have happened. And that's something you can't predict. Um, now, I really thought that some of the offseason moves the 49ers made going into last year were outstanding. They lost three key starters from their Super Bowl run. They lost receiver Emmanuel Sanders, D-tackle DeForest Buckner, and left tackle Joe Staley retired. Now, they got a couple of younger, cheaper replacements. They drafted two starters in the first round. They drafted D-tackle Javon Kinlaw, 14th overall. They drafted wide receiver Brandon Ayuk, 25th overall. And then they traded for Washington left tackle, uh, a stud pro bowler, Trent Williams, uh, which is a, I mean, he was no use to Washington. He was not going to play for them. So it was a really a great grab for them. And despite the good moves, I mean, I, I looked at, the GM, I went, man, this guy is killing it. And uh, John Lynch, the 49ers GM, I was like, he is making great moves, rebuilding, reloading, getting their team prepared to win. And uh, unfortunately, they just could not overcome the devastating injuries that took place in 2020. Now, I will say uh, they did very well early in the year. I mean, I, people, got, people went down early on. People got hurt. But I remember there was a moment where the 49ers were 4-3. and three. Like, winning, despite being really shorthanded and outmatched a lot of the time, they beat the Rams, they beat the Patriots, they were 4-3. and three. And I remember thinking, like, man, Kyle Shanahan, what he's doing with the, the group of guys he's got together. They're competing, they're winning games handily. I was like, man, Kyle Shanahan deserves to be on the watch list for NFL Coach of the Year. Now, it didn't work out, they won, you know, they won six games, they kind of fell off a cliff, but... Um, I still could not feel better about the 49ers young coach, Kyle Shanahan, pretty clearly. He's like one of the premier coaches in the NFL. And what he does better than anybody, he's a wizard at getting the absolute most out of his players. Uh, he just is so good at designing plays and making stuff work and having uh, the way they run the ball in San Francisco with so much uh, motion and so much disguise, so many disguises. Like it's really impressive the operation they've got going on in San Francisco. I, I'm just eternally impressed with Kyle Shanahan. Now I will say I was not impressed with the 49ers quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, the little he did play last year, he was not great. And this is now two seasons in a row where after the year has ended, I walked away feeling like, hmm. The 49ers need to have a better quarterback. They lost that Super Bowl where Jimmy Garoppolo was very underwhelming and kind of was carried to a Super Bowl. But a lot of bad quarterbacks get to Super Bowls. Like Rex Grossman got to a Super Bowl. So getting to a Super Bowl is very different than winning a Super Bowl. You can have a great roster that leads you to a Super Bowl. And then, again, Rex Grossman is my prime example. Just because Jimmy Garoppolo got to a Super Bowl does not make him an amazing quarterback. Um, and I, I can't imagine a lot of 49ers fans don't agree where they're like, yeah, Jim Garoppolo 
we 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 want him to be great. Like Jimmy Garoppolo, I'm sure is somebody that 49ers fans like. Please, we want him to be amazing, but it's not. It's he's not delivering. Now, a bright spot on the year last year for San Francisco was that rookie receiver Brandon Ayuk, first round pick, 25th overall uh, from Arizona State. He led the 49ers in catches, in receiving yards, and in receiving touchdowns. He had 60 catches for 748 yards. He got five touchdowns. He also ran for two touchdowns. Brandon Ayuk was a home run. Awesome, awesome draft pick. Uh, Can somebody teach uh, the Eagles and the Patriots how to do what the 49ers just did? They drafted a guy in the first round who became a good receiver. Like, oh, wow, amazing. Kind of crazy. But Brandon Ayuk, man, is, is awesome. Uh, him and Debo Samuel are fun to watch when they're both healthy. Uh, it's, I think he missed a game because of COVID, too. Now, rookie D tackled Javon Kinlaw. Had a rookie year full of a lot of progress. Uh, I want to read you a quote from Robert Sala about Javon Kinlaw's first year in the NFL. Robert uh, Sala, the former defensive coordinator of the 49ers, he said this. With regards to Javon, I think his track this year and what he's been able to do as a rookie has been awesome. It's just my opinion that the second hardest position behind the quarterback is interior defensive lineman. It's a different animal in there. You can't bully people like you have your entire life. You go to high school and college and you go through high school and college. You're just bigger. You're stronger. You're faster uh, than everybody. Then you get to the NFL and blocking combinations are different. The speed's different. The power's different. Their pass rushing is different because those guys play a game within a game. So there's a huge learning curve with regards to being able to go in there and play at a very consistent level. It makes a lot of sense. I mean, I I look at Derek Brown, who went to the Panthers. I look at Javon Kinlaw. Like, of course, a defensive lineman who physically has dominated their entire life, they run into a bit of a stone wall and go, oh, this is different. And they have to learn more technique. And you, you watch a lot of time. Like Aaron Donald's a prime example. He's always out there working with his hands and teaching people what they're doing and uh, I feel very good about Jawan Kinlaw. He just needs time. Uh, I think that it was a year of progress. I, I could. I, I think it was a great draft pick, actually. Uh, and in the, he's working hard. I, I just I walked away from with Jawan Kinlaw. I thought that was a great perspective from Robert Sala. Like, give it time. It's a huge adjustment to go from high school to college, and then suddenly the NFL, where it's just a completely different game. And uh, I've never heard anyone say that before, but I thought that was really really cool from Robert Sala. Now. Uh, unfortunately, the 49ers defensive coordinator, I said the former defensive coordinator because Robert Sala left. Uh, he got hired as a Jets new head coach. I'm very confident in him. It's a great move for New York. Uh, and it stood out to me how hard the 49ers defense fought at the end of the year, despite playing for nothing but pride. I mean, the season was lost. They were at a horrible record and, uh, it really, they were playing cause they're getting paid and cause you probably want to put good stuff on film, but Robert Sala, to his credit, got great, great play out of his defense, down the stretch. Guys were making effort, fighting hard, and losing battles. I mean, I was just, I walked away very, very impressed with that 49ers defense. Uh, And I just, uh, it really says a lot about Robert Sala's leadership. He will be, uh, 49er fans should be very upset. I mean, they are losing out on a great coach in San Francisco. Robert Sala left, and that's going to be a hole left behind him. Now, I want to read a couple questions from the audience. You, too, can uh, send in questions. Go to patreon.com forward slash Zach Shomler. Question number one is from the Musical Brew. He says, what should the Niners do at quarterback? Personally, I believe they should trade Jimmy G and maybe another pick for Cousins. 
uh, and the Vikes should move on from Kirk Cousins' limitations. Um, Kirk Cousins is interesting. I'm fine. Like I'm, I mean, I he did very well with uh, Kyle Shanahan. Kyle Shanahan elevates literally every quarterback that he has. I mean, it, he made Matt Ryan into an NFL MVP. So uh, keep your uh, Kyle Shanahan. No matter who his quarterback is, the guy's going to do something well, even if. Uh, like, I think he's really elevating Jimmy Garoppolo beyond what he probably is capable of normally with any other coach. And I believe the 49ers need to find an alternative to Jimmy Garoppolo. They need to move on from Jimmy G. Uh, the 49ers have a shot at a Super Bowl if they can get good quarterback play. Now, maybe that can come from Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, but I am not confident he can deliver. I'm, I've seen enough now where I'm like, uh, Jimmy G is not the answer. Two years in a row, I felt like this needs to be better and needs to change. And honestly... The guy I would make a move for, if I'm San Francisco, there's a cheap contract out there with a guy who plays high-level quarterback play. I mean, this quarterback I'm about to list is the only quarterback, and they've had a lot of quarterbacks play uh, for the Jacksonville Jaguars recently. Gardner Minshew is the only quarterback to win a game in like the last two years for Jacksonville. So Gardner Minshew is not flashy, not amazing. I mean, he's flashy with the stupid mullet and the, like, his, his shirt's always open and unbuttoned with the, the hairy chest. Like, he's very flamboyant, but he's not the most talented quarterback ever. However, what he does is make great decisions. I think he's better than Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, he's certainly much cheaper. If you added, if you had Gardner Minshew with Kyle Shanahan and a great roster around him, that's a team that could win a Super Bowl. I really have confidence in that. If I'm the 49ers, I am on the phone saying, hey, how can we get Gardner Minshew in our building? Uh, well, that's just me. I, I understand. I'm like, I really, really believe strongly in Gardner Minshew, probably more than a lot of people. Uh, but I, I think the 49ers need to act with desperation and find a solution and find somebody other than Jimmy Garoppolo to be their quarterback moving forward. Dylan writes in. He says, do you still believe that George Kittle is the best tight end in the NFL? I remember last year you talking about all the teams in the division needing someone to guard him specifically. Is Kelsey taking over that number one spot? Uh, so, no. Uh, George Kittle is still the best tight end in the NFL. I know that his numbers went down, but remember he was hurt last year, missed a couple games, uh, and he had backup quarterbacks throwing him the ball. So, I, I don't know. Then also, remember, Travis Kelsey is a receiving tight end. George Kittle does everything. He can run, he can catch, and he can block. George Kittle is maybe the best blocking tight end in the NFL. On top of the fact you can't guard him, he's great after the catch, he catches everything. George Kittle is easily the best all-around tight end in the NFL, and uh, I don't understand how that's not widely accepted. I, I, I Travis Kelsey's amazing. He's a glorified receiver. He's a receiver that's slow, that has linebackers match up on him, so... I, I, George, Travis Kelsey's awesome, the guy in uh, Kansas City. But George Kittle, the San Francisco 49ers tight end, that is the best tight end in the entire NFL. I will die on that hill. Uh, I'm not a 49er fan, but I watched the tape. George Kittle's amazing. Final question for the 49ers. Michael writes in, he says, Congrats on the engagement, Zach. It's been awesome to hear how much your personal and professional life has grown since I started listening to the podcast a couple of seasons ago. My question is about the 49ers quarterback group. We've locked in Josh Rosen and Jimmy G, but Nick Mullins and CJ Beathard are pending free agents. 
which would you rather have as your backup and where do you where do you like uh where would you like to see them sign? Uh, where would you like to see them go basically? Do you think either of CJ Bathard or Jimmy or Nick Mullins is a capable starter? So I would take Nick Mullins over CJ Bethard. Uh, neither one of them is a starting quarterback in the NFL. Nick Mullins, however, is an outstanding backup. He's like the perfect backup where he can come in for a few games, keep your season alive, uh, but he should never play more than a couple games a year. Last year, he basically became the 49ers starting quarterback. That's not a position that Nick Mullins should ever be in. He's just too limited to be a starting quarterback in the NFL. But if I'm an NFL team and I'm like, I can have Nick Mullins potentially come in and keep my season afloat if my quarterback was banged up a little bit. That's very encouraging. But if Nick Mullins ever plays more than like three games a year, you're in trouble. But again, he's a backup. Like you shouldn't expect your backup quarterback to be your starting quarterback. It's just, it's the wrong expectation to put on a guy. So I think Nick Mullins, I, I maintain he's one of the better backups in the entire NFL. All right, let's now shift gears to Seattle. I predicted the Seattle Seahawks to go 11 and 5 last year. I pretty much nailed it. They went 12 and 4. The only game I missed was the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, I could not predict that the 49ers would have a bunch of injuries. I thought that the Seattle Seahawks and the 49ers would split their series, each win one game against each other. Instead, Seattle beat the 49ers in both games. So that's literally the one game I missed. It's kind of crazy. I was horribly wrong about the Cardinals, the Rams, the 49ers. I nailed Seattle. My prediction was right. Uh, therefore, I'm actually not that interested in Seattle. I'm like, I, like I, I, I'm actually way more fascinated when I get stuff horribly wrong. Uh, I said before the year that Seattle relies too heavily on Russell Wilson, their starting quarterback, uh, to rescue them from their problems. And kind of ended up being true. Now, they brought in a receiver from Philip Dorsett. Uh, they brought in Philip Dorsett from New England. I was curious if Philip Dorsett could have a breakout year and go from a guy who was infuriating to watch in New England to maybe uh, having a great season playing with Russell Wilson. Unfortunately, Philip Dorsett did not play a single game. Uh, the poor guy hurt his foot in training camp. And by November, Philip Dorsett was getting surgery to remove bone spurs from his foot. I encourage you look up a bone spur. Ugh, it does not look like a comfortable thing. But credit Seattle. Seattle tried to get Russell Wilson some playmakers. Uh, Philip Dorsett did not work out. Josh Gordon did not work out. They brought in, uh, you know, speedy Josh Gordon. He had a setback in recovery. Seattle had to end up cutting him. So they also brought in uh, Greg Olson. They they, they got a, a veteran tight end, Greg Olson. And I look, I got a lot of respect for Greg Olson. He's awesome. Uh, last year, Greg Olson, however, was underwhelming. He had 24 catches for 239 yards. One touchdown, played in only 11 games, missed uh, a couple games with an injury. So uh, in the end, Greg Olson retired. So Philip Dorsett, Josh Gordon, Greg Olson, like the moves Seattle made to try to support Russell Wilson just didn't work out. And that's not, it's just, it didn't, it didn't work, unfortunately, right? Uh, now, again, I love Greg Olson. He's amazing. I cannot wait to hear the guy in the broadcast booth next year. But uh, now, the one thing that did pan out very, very well for Seattle on offense was DK Metcalf. DK Metcalf, Seattle's second-year receiver. Oh, my gosh. This guy is a monster. He had 83 catches for 1,303 yards, 10 touchdowns. I love to see that. DK Metcalf is a receiver that is just at the beginning of his 
eventual domination over the NFL. He already does dominate in some games. So he keeps getting better and better, and he's going to keep getting better and better the more we watch him. Now, as I look back on Seattle's season, one of the things that kind of sticks out to me that's very weird still is I, I just did not love their 2020 first-round pick. Seattle's kind of known for having weird first-round draft picks. Uh, they drafted linebacker Jordan Brooks 27th overall. And uh, he was hurt early on. So Jordan Brooks... Now, I will say, to, I'm not going to trash on Jordan Brooks. By the end of the year, he made some plays, was doing some good stuff. Like, Jordan Brooks, very good football player. I, solid, right? Deserve, looks like a first-round pick at the end of the year. But here's what's weird to me, is that when the Seattle Seahawks went to a nickel package, meaning that you bring in an extra corner or defensive back onto the field to basically stop the pass... When they went into a nickel package, which is happening more and more in the NFL because teams are throwing more and more than ever before. In a nickel package, Jordan Brooks is on the sideline, not playing. Maybe part of that is because uh, they were, he's a rookie, they're trying to give him a light workload. I don't know, but it's kind of weird to draft a first round pick and then not have the guy on the field all the time. It makes me wonder, despite Jordan Brooks being a very solid football player, could they not have got drafted somebody 27th overall last year that could have contributed even more to their team? I, I, it's just a question. I'm asking because I looked at it and I still feel kind of it's a bit of an odd pick. Like, even though Jordan Brooks can play, it's like, wow, could they not have done something better or maybe more interesting than Jordan Brooks? Just me asking a question here. You can answer for yourself. I, I just, for me, I'm like, Man, you spent a first-round pick on a guy who's not on the field all the time. Hmm. Now, I got a question on Patreon from uh, Dax. Dax is a guy I went to college with, old college buddy of mine. Dax, hope you're doing very, very well. Uh, I know he's a Seahawks fan. He's from Washington. We both went to Washington State. He says, um, Dax says, it seems like no one can stop talking about Russell Wilson. What boggles my mind is why anyone thinks Russ is going anywhere. If he's traded, it's $40 million in dead cap, and none of the teams Russ said he would go to have tons of assets to get equal value back from back for him. So why is this topic inhaling so much airtime nationwide when it's so unlikely to happen? Why is a Russell Wilson potential trade everywhere in the media? Uh, well, number one, not going to lie. It's because there's not much going on. People that have a daily show where they got to talk for like three hours a day every single day, it's unnecessary. There's too much sports content out there. Like it's people make content about sports too often where their content is filler nonsense. They got to fill their time and they're like, well, Russell Wilson will get us clicks. We need we need clickbait. Russell Wilson's great. They do it. And I made a, I made literally one topic about Russell Wilson. And I'm like, OK, we got to entertain the idea. Like, let's have a topic. But then I walked away. I was like, it's, it's, I said my piece, and I think it's stupid. They shouldn't trade him. That'd be a dumb thing. But after you make one topic about it, it's like, well, let's see if it actually happens. Because unless it happens, it's a stupid rumor. So I don't, I'm not that interested in a Russell Wilson trade conversation because it's not realistic. I hate fake trades. It's like, I, I, I like theorizing, coming up with stuff, but this is just nonsense at this point. Uh, and I, I don't buy it's going to happen. I don't know why you would trade Russell Wilson. But here, here's my second thing to say. It is a big deal. I mean, 
I, I, it's ridiculous the way the media talks about Russell Wilson, this trade, uh, acting like it's an inevitability. It's going to happen any day. And again, part of it's because they need to fill time. But it is a big deal because Russell Wilson does seem genuinely frustrated with Seattle. And that, that's, that's a news story, right? When your starting quarterback is frustrated with your franchise, that's bad. And, and then, of course, Seattle released a bunch of stuff to their, um, their season ticket holders and didn't include Russell Wilson. It's like, uh, what's happening here? Like, it's, it's, it, there's something there. And I think the something really is just that Russell Wilson's a bit disgruntled and needs to be uh, wooed a little bit by Seattle. And I think Russell, by the way, has every right to be frustrated. You ever watch a Seahawks game? Running around. And I saw people blame Russell Wilson that, oh, he runs around too much. No, he runs because he has to. Because the offensive line has been bad for years. Please get Russell Wilson an offensive line. If he couldn't run around the way, would he be injured? He'd be Andrew Luck. He'd be out of the league. And the reason why it's a big deal is Russell Wilson getting traded would be shocking. It'd be a massive deal. Be like, oh my, can you believe it? A future Hall of Fame quarterback actually got traded. Because just if 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 Russ Wilson trade did happen, it's one of those rare trades where like I, we might you, you get that once every couple. It doesn't happen very often, right? And if the if in the same offseason Deshaun Watson and Russell Wilson both get traded, it probably just be a sign that the NFL's changed forever. Like, because we we've never seen that talented of a player who's done as good a stuff as Russell Wilson has done, who, by the way, Russell Wilson's been quiet and well-spoken and completely mature for years. Like he's earned the right to speak up a little bit. If that guy gets traded, it's it's a shock. And so part of why people are talking about it, of course, they're they're trying to fill time, but part of it really is because that trade does not happen. You never see a future Hall of Fame quarterback traded, and it would be insane if that trade did, in fact, happen. All right, guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. Thank you so very much for tuning in. I love you. I appreciate you. Hope you have a great day, and uh, I will see you in the next episode. More predictions versus reality. Have a great day. Ba-dum-bum. Bam. We are